This episode is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience and have more meaningful conversations, you're going to want to check out Poddex. Now, if you want to get 10% off your order right now, you can go to poddex.com and type in coupon code, what's the code? Larry21. Yes, that's the code. Check out poddex.com. Take your podcast to the next level. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. We dive into stories of true crime, from unsolved cold cases to historic kidnapping to gangsters and beyond. We are your source for true crime. We thank you for listening. 2013, Bryce last pizza drove his car off the side of a mill and crashed in the desert below. What appeared to be an attempted suicide after days of stranger behavior, police reports, resulted in two loving parents losing their son. However, Bryce didn't die. In fact, reports indicated that Bryce walked away from the accident. Even if this was an attempted suicide, Bryce survived, and his body has never been found. After reading this bizarre case of what appears like Bryce's attempted suicide, coupled with his compelling behaviors and likely survival after the car crash, this case still haunts me years after I discovered it. By all accounts, Bryce was a normal, happy young man. His parents, Michael and Karen Laspiza, had just dropped their 19-year-old son off at college for his sophomore year at Sierra College in California. His parents lived a few hours away in Laguna Niguel, California, and he was welcome to come home if he ever needed anything. Bryce was dating a lovely girl by the name of Kim and many good friends. Like other college students, Bryce had been known to drink and party, but not excessively. He was a very good student and had a passion for graphic design. Bryce was close with his family and was used to telling them everything. Despite having no, having no obvious reason to act out, Bryce began drinking and experimenting with the drug used for attention disorders by veins. Bryce did not have any reported difficulties with ADHD. Instead, he was using the drug to keep himself awake at night so that he could play video games. Additionally, Bryce's personality seemed to change quite a bit. He had become anxious and borderline paranoid. The roommate and Kim tried to ask Bryce what was going on, but he kept telling them that everything was fine. On August 28, 2013, a few weeks after classes had started, Bryce's behavior got even stranger. Bryce looked over at his roommate while they were sitting on the couch, and Bryce handed him his real diamond earrings. His roommate tried to refuse the gift, but then Bryce tried to give him his expensive Xbox. His roommate still tries to refuse the gifts, but Bryce is persistent. Bryce then gets on his phone and starts aggressively texting someone. After a few mo- uh, minutes, Bryce looks up from his phone and tells his roommate that he just broke up with his girlfriend. The roommate decided to call Bryce's parents because he was very worried. Karen picked up the phone and listens as the roommate explained everything to her. He told her that he didn't want to get Bryce in trouble, but that he was very concerned for his friend. We got off the phone and Karen decided to reach out to her son. Before Karen had a chance to call Bryce, she gets a call from Bryce's phone. However, when Karen answers, she's surprised to find that it's Kim on the other end of the line and not Bryce. Kim tells Karen that Bryce had just shown up at her apartment, that she had taken his keys, and she didn't want him to drive due to his behavior. Karen is now very worried as two of his closest friends have now told Karen that something is wrong with him. 
Kim puts Bryce on the phone, and Bryce tries to play the situation off as Kim overacting due to the fact that they have just broken up. He tells his mom to ask Kim to give him his keys, but Karen wasn't buying this. Karen knew her son and knew that something was wrong. She told Bryce that she wanted him to stay with Kim and that she would fly out in the morning. Bryce quickly told his mom no. He told her that he had a lot to tell her, but that he couldn't tell her over the phone. Unsure of what to do now, she gave the phone to Michael, Bryce's father. He asked Bryce what was going on, and Bryce told his dad the same thing that he told his mom. Only Michael seemed to believe it, feeling like he had no reason not to believe his son. He convinced Karen to ask him to give Bryce's keys back, and despite Karen and Kim's hesitancy, Karen asked him to give her son his keys, and she listened. At 11.30 p.m. that night, Bryce had gotten into his car and was about to leave. Karen called him back and told Bryce to call her when he had gotten home, so that she knew he was safe. Bryce agreed and called for called her back an hour and a half later. He told her that he was in his apartment, safe and sound. They agreed to talk the next morning and Karen and Michael go to bed. About 10 hours later at 10 a.m., Karen received an automated phone call from her car insurance company, letting her know that roadside assistance had been used on their 2003 Toyota car. The car that Bryce drove. Karen immediately worried that her son had gotten into a car accident that morning and tried to call Bryce. Bryce didn't pick up. Karen then tried calling his roommate, who answered the phone and told Karen that Bryce had never come home. This shocked and concerned his parents, given the events of the night before. Instead of calling the police, they pulled up Bryce's most recent bank statements and learned that he had recently spent money at a car repair shop in Buttonwillow, California, a small desert town located halfway between between where they lived and Bryce's college. His parents assumed that Bryce had attempted to drive home to them in the middle of the night and had car troubles. What really happened in Button Willow? Karen called the repair shop in Button Willow and spoke to a man named Christian who had responded to Bryce's roadside assistance call. Christian told Karen that her son had run out of gas on the highway and pulled into a rest stop. Christian offered to drive to the rest stop, which was about 15 minutes away from the shop, to see if Bryce was still there. Christian said he doubted their son would be there since it had been a few hours since he had last seen him, but the parents took him up on his generous offer. Christian drove to the rest stop and sure enough, Bryce was still parked and sitting behind the wheel as Christian had left him. Christian walked up to the driver's side and noticed that Bryce seemed to be staring off in a daze. It took Bryce a moment to notice Christian before he rolled down the windows to speak to him. Christian told Bryce that his parents were worried and looking for him. Christian then pulled out his phone and called Karen. He handed the phone to Bryce, forcing him to speak to his parents. Karen demanded to know what Bryce is doing, but he couldn't tell her what he was doing. Karen finally stopped trying to un- was trying to pry information out of him after the conversation seemed to be going in circles, with Bryce refusing to say what was going on. She told him to come home immediately, and Bryce agreed. Christian took his... This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer phone back and then gets into his car to leave. Christian looks over at Bryce one last time before driving off and noticed that Bryce went back to staring into space, unmoving. Christian decided it was safe to leave since Bryce had just spoken to his mom and confirmed that he would head home. 
Michael and Karen knew that the drive from Button Willow to their home was only about three hours, so they expected their son to be home around 3 p.m. that afternoon. By 3.30 p.m., Bryce still had not shown up, and they grew very worried. They tried to call and text Bryce, but he wasn't answering his phone. By 6 p.m., the parents called the police and filed a missing person report. The police began their investigation by calling the family's cell phone provider. They were able to find the location of Bryce's phone, which was still in Buttonwillow, California. Instead of being at the rest stop, the phone was a few miles down the road at the parking lot of a hotel. Police in Buttonwillow were called and they were trying and they went to try and find Bryce. When police got there, they found Bryce sitting behind the wheel of his car. Bryce seemed to be disassociated, staring at the front of his car, just as Christian had found it. Besides that, police reported that Bryce had been acting perfectly normal. They conducted a field sobriety test on him, which he passed effortlessly. Police then searched his car for drugs or alcohol and found nothing. When the officers asked what he was doing, Bryce couldn't give them an answer. When they told him that he would need to call his parents, Bryce started acting upset very clearly did not want to speak to his parents. An officer called Karen for him and told her that everything seemed fine. The officer handed the phone to Bryce and Karen, er, to Bryce, and Karen demanded to know what was going on. Once again, Bryce couldn't really give his mom an answer. He just kept telling her to stop worrying that he would be home soon. Frustrated but worried, she had told her son to get some food and then drive home. Bryce agreed and said he would be home in a few hours. A few hours passed, and Christian, the car repairman, called Karen. He wanted to know if Bryce had made it home. Karen told him what had happened, and Christian offered to drive to the hotel parking lot to make sure that Bryce had left. Karen declined, truly believing that her son was on his way home. Despite this, Christian decided to drive to the hotel anyway. At the hotel parking lot, Christian found Bryce once again sitting in his car, staring out over his steering wheel. Christian walked right up to the car and finally... Uh, firmly told Bryce that he needed to go home for his parents' sake. Christian said that he was actually going to follow Bryce through town and onto the highway to make sure that Bryce was going home to his parents. Bryce was surprised by this, but agreed. Christian got into his car and began to follow Bryce for the next hour. Christian called Karen back and told them what was going on. Once Christian was confident that Bryce was actually going home, he turned his car around and began heading back to Buttonwillow. Shortly after this, Karen called Bryce and told him that he was going to give her landmarks of the things he was seeing so that she knew he was still driving home. Bryce refused to do this, claiming that it was too dark to see any of the landmarks that they wanted. At about 2 a.m., when Bryce was close to his Laguna Niguel, where his parents lived, he called them to tell them he was going to pull over and take a nap. At first, his parents were against this idea and tried to urge him just to make it home. They then realized that Bryce had been awake for at least 24 hours. At that point, they agreed to let him sleep for his safety. They told him that they could sleep, that he could sleep, but he had to call them as soon as he woke up. Bryce agreed and hung up the phone. This would be the last time they would ever hear from their son. At 8 a.m. on August 30th, 2013, Michael and Karen's doorbell rang. They were so relieved because they thought it would be their son. However, their relief was short-lived when they answered the door and saw a police officer. The police officer asked if they owned a 2003 Toyota car, and the parents explained that it it was the car that their son drove. The police officer informed them that the car had been found at the bottom of a 25-foot cliff halfway between Button Willow and Laguna Niguel. Bryce had not been found in the car, and they actually had reason to believe that Bryce walked away from the accident. Police had found two drops of blood in the car. The back window had been broken from the inside. This indicated that Bryce had escaped the crash by knocking out the window. Police had found a duffel bag outside of the vehicle on the road above the crash site. 
The bag looked like it had been rummaged through and some items could have been missing. After a close investigation of the tire tracks leading up to the crash site and cameras in the area, it was concluded that Bryce had driven off the cliff on purpose. It was also concluded that he had pushed his foot down on the accelerator as he went off the side of the road. Right away, this was assumed to be an attempted but failed suicide. Michael and Karen went with the police to the crash site. They refused to believe that their son had attempted suicide when he had seemed so happy just two weeks ago. Karen kept remembering that Bryce had told her on the phone that he had a lot to tell her. She worried that Bryce had managed to get himself into serious trouble. They couldn't possibly guess what could have caused their happy son to become suicidal in a matter of weeks. A massive search began in the area where the crash occurred. Helicopters flew overhead, divers searched a nearby lake, and people went out on foot and horseback to try and find Bryce. Hundreds of people were involved in the search, but nothing was found. On the ninth day of the search, investigators brought up a bloodhound to try and track his scent from the crash site. The hound did in fact pick up Bryce's scent, tracked it to a bridge that went across the lake. The bloodhound followed the scent over the bridge and up a small road to a truck stop where the scent stopped. To confirm that this was accurate, a second bloodhound was brought out, and he tracked the same scent in the same path as the first hound. Three weeks went by, and the search was finally called off. Having no leads and only theories, <clears throat> there wasn't much that police could do at that point. Some believed that Price had actually perished in the lake, while some believed that he was picked up at the truck stop and is living off the grid somewhere. Some believed that Price had a psychotic break from all the drug and alcohol use, and that is what caused his strange behavior. It's also theorized that Price sustained a major head injury after the accident and forgot who he was. We may never know what happened to him, but Michael and Karen Aspiza believe that their son was a victim of some sort and are still looking for their son to this day. Of course, if you have information about his whereabouts, you're asked to call 949-292-4400. That's 949-292-4400. And of course, let us know your thoughts in the comment section below. What do you think happened? Do you think he's still alive somewhere? Let us know. And of course, if you want to support the channel, you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNS. Your support helps the channel grow, upgrade our equipment, bring new hosts, be able to pay them, and one day take this show on the road. As always, thank you so much for watching and listening. We'll see you next time. You have been listening to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps podcast and on Twitter at True Crime NS. And follow us on Instagram at True Crime Never Sleeps. Thanks for watching. If you want to support the show, buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNN or become a patron at patreon.com slash True Crime Never Sleeps. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.